You're listening to Live Wild Radio, the part-time adventure podcast. Join us as we explore how outdoor adventures build mind, body, and spirit. So I have a little story before we get to this episode. Um, One of the things I hate the most in life is throwing up. (laughs) And it turns out throwing up (laughs) made me feel better just now. But, But like, so if people want to know what I am a coward about, right... It's not big climbing like it scares me, but I do it. You know, been in a fair, you know, mix of fist fights in my day. Uh, faced, you know, bears and all that kind of thing. Throwing up scares the shit out of me. <laughs> Luckily, I didn't have to like stick my fingers. It just sort of my body went out. And now I actually feel like a thousand percent better. So, <laughs> I told you. you yeah. Know? Whereas like an hour ago, like before You're... our guest got here, I was... Like lying there, going, uh, maybe you just do an episode by yourself, like you, you, uh, um, uh, and now I feel fine. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So we are recording live a, from Saranac Lake. Yeah. In the Adirondacks. And our guest today, Scott Van Leer. If you follow him on Twitter, it's ADK Ranger. Correct. Um, and Scott is like an Adirondack State Park Ranger who. If I'm not mistaken, you've got the coolest job because you're in the high peaks. It's one of the areas you cover. Yeah, I, I think um, for the Forest Ranger Force in New York State, because we're all over New York, but I, Adirondacks are definitely a desirable location. Yeah. Um, I, when I started as a ranger, I did have to do three years on Long Island. Okay. And oh, that, really? that was pretty miserable. There's only four Forest Rangers on Long Island, whereas there's 50 in the Adirondacks. Nice. But there is a small section of land there called the Pine Barrens that, that uh, the state does actively protect. So you grew up in this area? Yeah, uh, uh, in the Adirondacks. I yeah. was more in the southern Adirondacks. But um, I definitely grew up in the Adirondacks and on the job because my father's a forest ranger. He got hired in 1977. And he was in the Catskill Park, which is oh, in the southern okay. part of no, New York I... State. Mm-hmm. A bit smaller, but the same recreational type activity. And um, then in the mid-80s, when I was uh, just before coming a teenager, transferred to the Southern Adirondacks and grew up here, spent most of my time here, went to college at Paul Smith's, which is the only college, only four-year school in the Adirondacks. And then I uh, did three years in Alaska before I became a forest ranger in New York. Oh, cool. wow. Yeah. Were you doing uh, forestry work in Alaska? I did uh, wildlife work. I was a wildlife tech. What part of Alaska? I was in Fairbanks because I was going to college there, okay. but I did uh, wildlife work on the Yukon-Kuskokwim Delta. I just did one season. I was a park ranger in one of the state campgrounds there as well, too. Basically, we, we wanted to have you on because Adirondack State Park, and more specifically, like the High Peaks region where we keep coming back to, is one of the coolest uh, places on the east. You know, just a quick little rundown, like 46 mountains over 4,000 feet. Um and I would argue because there's a few that aren't actually 4,000 feet. And then there's Ooh. others that they don't count. So. Right. Like McNaughton doesn't yeah. count. Yeah. You know, um, and Yard <laughs> Mountain, I don't think counts because it's too close to Big Correct, Slide. Yeah. Um, but that's a neither here It's still there. a good bucket list. Oh, yeah. Um, but then you have thousands of kilometers of trails. Uh, canoeing. Um, a lot of people wouldn't think about here, but like there's some amazing canoe routes. Um, and a lot of campsites out on islands. Uh, it... I think of the Dax as like a three-season uh, destination um, from the standpoint that spring here um, sucks. 
you know, until everything's melted, it's just like well, we do call it mud season. Yeah, for locals, that's what we call it, mud season. So, so I've always sort of looked at it as you know, summer, fall, winter, and until like the snow melt has happened, uh, because it's just not worth. (laughs) (laughs) Well, our winter can go well into April. Yeah, you know, and usually by end of May, it's okay. Yeah, you know, you might still a few years ago going up Marcy mm-hmm. we had micro spikes on in shorts yeah because you have all these sheet ice yeah. on the north side it just hasn't been hit by the sun so it hasn't melted yet so that kind of stuff is kind of cool yeah uh, there's a little depression on Marcy called the bowl that you can see and it's always the last spot to hold on snow and one of the rangers up here before my time Pete Fish who's kind of a bit of a legend he would say that in uh, Fourth of July weekend, people would hike skis up and just just to make one or two turns in the bowl. There was snow, <laughs> yeah. and I haven't re- I haven't seen snow in the bowl into July in my time. You know, maybe maybe once or twice, but you know, during his time, it was a regular thing. Yeah, well, that that's actually an interesting thing um, because you've it's been twenty one years you've been in this park. Yeah, yeah, um, as a ranger, yeah, yeah. Uh, so over that time. Um, because you get so many people saying that like, you know, climate change isn't a thing and da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. But like, have you seen a change in like what the winters are like? Um, and, and basically, uh, you know, how the weather and and the climate in this area has been affected. Yeah. Weather, the winters have been kind of weird here and they, they, we haven't had the extreme cold temperatures as much, Mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, there's definitely been a weird pattern. Normally, I'd say it's like one out of three or one out of four years that we'll have snow by Thanksgiving, U.S. Thanksgiving, yep. so end of end of uh, November. But it's it the the thaws in January. It's like it's like so rare now that we we when we get our snow that we hold on to it until mm-hmm. until March or April. So that's the biggest thing is our January thaws, our melts are more common, seem more frequent. Okay, um, and that that's. Because back at home, like we're from Ontario, we don't get any snow accumulation, mm-hmm. right? Like it's almost like the whole temperature band has bumped up enough that mm-hmm. the highs now are all slightly above zero. Yeah. Like when it when it does mm-hmm. get warm, which means all the snow's gone. Because I've even noticed it because, you know, and obviously some winters are just more precipitation than others. Mm-hmm. But like I, I remember, um, I don't remember what mountain it was, but, you know, trudging in my snowshoes up. You know, one of the one of the trails, and the, the little yellow marker was at my knees, right? That's how much snow you had. Um, not, and, not, and we still do get that. You know, Th- that's the thing is is can be surprising to people because they'll be living down at a lower elevation and they're experiencing all those things, and they come right. here and they're going up several thousand feet, and it's like, whoa, it is winter here. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, I think that surprises people maybe more so now that. Um, Winter's not as prevalent everywhere, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, because we still have it in the, in the mountains, and it's still the snow is accumulating rapidly still there, and people are surprised. So that that could be somewhat of a change because I, you know, we still see the people coming up in winter and hiking in blue jeans and just totally. Oh yeah, and those rubber duck boots or whatever those boots are. Yeah, like bogs. Yeah, <laughs> like on Wright's Peak last it, a couple yeah, years yeah. ago, we we're like with our spikes. Yeah, and we're like, how, yeah, the, how the heck did yeah, you? Yeah, we up there? we've got snowshoes and crampons, and I even had my ice axe on, even though the couple of the people I had with me weren't. You know, they're not mountaineers, but but when you got a couple of dicey sections, I could go up, 
make a belay, belay them up the dicey section. Um, and so w- w- this is all the shit we have. We get to the, um, you know, it's exposed. So we, uh, you're just down to your boots again because you're scrambling around on the rock. And there's a girl in like yoga pants, um, bogs, uh, didn't have snowshoes. Puffy. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's really cold up here. It's like, yeah, like we're having like probably like 60 or 80 mile an hour gusts. Um, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, what are you doing up here? Like, you know, it's like, uh, okay, well, and uh, like we purposefully waited for them to go first. So then at least I know they're in front of me and I yeah, don't, yeah. you know, because it, it's one of the things you run into when you're sort of the most experienced person around. Um. If something goes wrong, you're going to be the one pitching in and helping. Like, I've, I've had to do that. And I don't mind. But, you know, I've had to do that a ton of times over mm-hmm. the years. And you're like, this is preventable. <laughs> um, and, you know, because obviously, unless somebody's got like a satellite communicator in an area like that, um, there's no cell reception. You know, I guess maybe there, there's a little bit on top of Algonquin. We... Cell coverage is actually pretty good nowadays. Um, we get a lot of calls that do come in by cell phone. It's been proving quite a bit. Oh, okay. Because I know we, we were down. It depends what your carrier. So this does come up a lot with yeah. Canadians coming oh, down. Really? So if you have Verizon, it's pretty good. You know, there's spots. Huh. There's good sections where it's it's pretty reliable. Not not nothing. I'm encouraging people to rely on. Mm-hmm. You know, is that safety yeah. net. But uh, it depends on what your carrier is. So a lot of those other carriers do not work well in the Adirondacks. Yeah, so maybe if AT&T uh, isn't as good. Because that's when that's you... That's what I have, yeah. Yeah, when you roam down here, that's what you have. Yeah. Because we were, we were passing, like, you know, Pitch Off in the mm-hmm. Cascade Lakes. And... That is a bit of a dead zone. <laughs> yeah, like that was just <laughs> nothing. Yeah, yeah, that's a steep valley, uh, yeah. you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, yeah. Un- unless we put uh, an antenna on top of Cascade, uh, <laughs> you're not going to get good yeah. coverage along the road there. It's, that's you know. a tough line to say. But, but that, it's one of those things that's kind of cool because you're on a major road, like 73s, yeah. like, you know, busy road, and literally no cell reception. Yeah, well, even on the Northway, yeah. on, on 87, which you're, you're yeah. not taking, you know, but going south here... Um, the, the main entry into the high peaks exit 30 the, uh, on uh, the interstate there's large you know there's long sections where it's still pretty poor coverage they, yeah. they had emergency phones every mile or so for quite a long time they actually there was one point boy it's a while ago now i bet it's a decade or more but there was a older couple that went over to bank in their car mm-hmm. and uh, they wound up perishing just be- from the elements because they couldn't get out themselves they were older and their cell phone didn't work mm. But these emergency phones are not there anymore, are they? I think they're not. I think they're gone now. Yeah. 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 But that, I should know that. Yeah. <laughs> let's re- let's rewind. Let's rewind. So you're a forest ranger uh, for the department. DEC, what does that stand for? Department of Environmental Conservation. I should have known that. Yeah. So Scott, tell us, what do you do and what area does that cover? Okay. So I, I'm a forest ranger in the high peaks region of the Adirondacks, but I'm actually speaking to you tonight because I'm the the director or president of the forest ranger union. So that, that allows me some more flexibility to, to meet with people and, and, and press and do stuff like this. So my, the things I'm talking about tonight, these are not the views of the department of environmental conservation. I'm speaking on behalf of the union as a union delegate. Okay. So there's my disclaimer. We're good to go now. Yeah. <laughs> so what exactly does your role as a forest ranger involve? What are the different components to that? Yeah, so it's, it's pretty interesting how the job evolved here in New York with the forest rangers. 
And if you go to the U.S. National Park Service, you see different kinds of rangers, interpretive rangers, climbing rangers, law enforcement rangers. We're a small group here, and we encompass all of that. It's just one type of forest ranger, just forest rangers. But we do three primary things. We do stewardship, which includes the law enforcement. So we're the stewards of the land, educating the public going out there. We do the search and rescue. Um, and we have about 350 a year statewide. In the High Peaks region here, this one small area, we have 100 a year. And then we also do the wildland fire. 100 a year rescues? 100 a year search and rescue instance gotcha. in High Peaks, yeah. Okay. And Is we it busier in the summer or the winter? Oh, it's definitely busier. We have more incidents in the summer, but the, the ones in winter are more epic. Right. It involves more uh, more difficulties, more gotcha. staff. Gotcha. Bigger challenges for sure. For sure. Yeah, because in the summertime, you run into the thing. It's like you get a few people come in, you know, help the person. Yeah. And if they had to sit there for a while, they don't freeze to death. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's not even an exaggeration. Yeah. And we'll talk about a few of those. So uh, law enforcement, stewardship, uh, search and rescue. What was the third? And a wildland fire. Okay. So any forest fires. And we're involved with the federal system as well. So we also have the opportunity to go out west, uh, California, other states to assist them on fires. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I guess that's part of the thing you know as in your in your role in the union is you're advocating for more rangers yeah 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 that is um it in my father's time when he was working here in the 80s and 90s there were actually 10 more forest rangers in the adirondacks than we have today and in that time we've actually added a million acres of land statewide mm-hmm. most of it in the adirondacks so we've added more land and with that comes more people more use more search and rescue so we've been really struggling the last 15, 20 years, the last 10 has been really significant. Though. The, the number of search and rescue incidents have really gone up. And it's had a, a major in, impact on our lives and our jobs. And uh, we're, um, it's almost like we're held hostage by the number of search and rescue incidents we have. Because even when they don't occur, like this was President's Weekend, holiday weekend here. Mm-hmm. And I was just kind of in the front country, just in the truck with my gear ready to respond because there was only two of us working. And what that does, that takes away from a lot of the backcountry work that I used to do. So I used to spend a lot of time um, hiking and camping and staying at our outpost. Gotcha. And that has really diminished. So, and and that has a that has an effect on the resource too because I'm not interacting with the public. I'm not enforcing all these regulations we have. Meeting with people at our campsites. So that's one thing we've been pushing for in the union is to. Try and get more staff. Actually, advocating for uh, a loss in pay because we are overtime eligible and we work between generally between five hundred and a thousand hours of overtime a year. So we would just like a little more staff to uh, to do a better job, mm-hmm. do a better job service for the public and for protecting the resource. Uh, from your father's time into now, a million plus more acres, uh, more visitors. How many more visitors ish? Do you, do you know? Yeah, that, that or, or what it is today. Yeah, that that is it's tough to say. Um, we do have stats that um, Cascade is a great example, and I'm trying to do this off the top of my head, but that is up, you know, several hundred percent. So on a on a very busy weekend in the summer, we'll have say 1,200 people that'll hike just one mountain here. Yeah. Um, so. Early on, when I first came here, maybe four or five thousand people a year that would hike Cascade. Now you're talking twenty thousand or more. Wow, 
Yeah, because Cascade's one of the ones that... It's got some steepness to it in places, but it's not a long... No, but the summit is amazing. Yeah. But what you're getting stuck with, because we really noticed it in the fall, is you're having to do the ticketing on the street, right? Well, the the parking was a huge issue this year, and I'd never had that before. Because of the tremendous amount of use that's occurred here, they implemented um, a parking ban along the shoulder of of 73, that State Route 73 corridor. And with that, all these no parking signs they put up. And, you know, we got stuck doing the the enforcement for that. We're police officers. It's part of our job. We Mm -hmm. get it. It's it's not the, the cool part. No, but it's taking it away from what really matters. Yeah, so this, this year we wrote um, over 500 parking tickets, and that's really in just a few months, you know. Like, like in the, in the winter yeah. now, the use, the infrastructure, the amount of parking spots, we can keep up with the use. But from June, July, actually May, May until into October on the weekends, our infrastructure does not keep up with use. Yeah. So we have fewer parking spots and we have people with cars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there are like a couple of spots where there's like shuttles that run in the summer. Like to the think, garden, we have a yeah. we have a shuttle that that um, goes from Marcy Field and runs up into the garden parking lot. And the state, to their credit, is now purchased some buses and they're going to have a shuttle system this year on seventy three. So we'll see how that goes. It's a good it's a good step. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the things everybody always touts. Like it's great that the public is coming here and recreating like never before, but there's side effects to it, and you know. You've been on our trails here. They're different than other places. You know, we were yeah. talking before going on air about the uh, Pacific Crest Trail, about yeah. how everything's cut. What are our trails like here? They're 150 years old, and they were the easiest route to the top. So they were fall lines. They were drainages, and they weren't designed with switchbacks in, in, uh, in, a, in a way that was sustainable. Yeah, because the... the, the trails in the dax and this is the best way for people to think of them is think of like probably some like drunk old prospector who's wasn't doing so good prospecting so he was given like a bucket of paint and said paint uh blazes for a trail and then he went well i don't have to cut down no trees and literally <laughs> rock slide on the side of the mountain blaze 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 like it is uh, like I love it, but it, it it's a rude awakening to a lot of people. Yeah, people say it all the time when they're coming from other parts of the country or parts of the world. They're like, "Wow, I can't believe how difficult the trails are here." I mean, I get that constantly. Hmm. Yeah. It, it surprises people. Well, winter actually is easier. It, it can like, be, yeah, yeah. If you yes. have a good yes. amount of snow. Totally, it fills in all of the the boulders. Yeah, and and the roots that are normally catching it, you can actually make better time. Yeah, if it's a hard packed trail in winter. You know, because it, mm. like when you're going downhill in the spring and summer, or fall too, but literally it's jumping from boulder to boulder yeah. to boulder to boulder. Uh, like it's gnarly. Yeah. Uh, and in the wintertime, it's physical exertion, right? You're still going uphill, but it's it's almost like somebody went out with a rake and graded the snow, you know, because of everybody yeah. like hiking and packing it down. It can be hard to convey to people sometimes when they're coming here for the first time in summer. And even for people who've hiked other places that like they'll look on the map and they'll see that distance and in their mind, okay, that distance will take me an hour. I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> you don't understand. You don't understand what you're about to get into. On average, that takes two hours for mm-hmm. the average person. Yeah, so that that can be a challenge as well. Yeah, I almost think, and I'm glad I do this with my kids, I always scout out places first. Like today I saw in the Saranac, like Baxter Mountain. Perfect. That or would Baxter. be an ep- Sorry? Baker. 
Baker. Baker. Ba- yeah, Baker's ba- perfect. Baker Mount. Perfect. Like we yeah. did Mount Joe. That was our first. And the second one was Indian Falls. We stayed in Marcy. Up to Indian Falls. That's it. That was an epic time for them. Yeah. You know, just a little at a time, especially mm-hmm. with family when you want to make sure people are still turned on to the idea, but it's a little challenging. But, uh, and you know what? As much as I've done Marcy and others stuff in the past, we did Seward, the one winner. I'm glad we only did uh, Hurricane. Like just because I was getting back into it, my knee and in the end, it was my hip flexor that kind of went. So it's always good to kind of ease into it to test yourself what you're able to do here. Yeah, it's it's uh, so Hurricane is, is wide open on the top, but then there's a, a fire tower as well too. Okay, so you okay. get a bit more Heidi view. And in the summer, we have um, we have a volunteer that'll staff that on weekends. Okay, it's, it's got a nice view, and we we also utilize that as a repeater for our our radio system. We have actually a really good radio system for the Forest Ranger service here. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, because I guess that's a, the trick is like you got to get something up on like high points, you know, basically. Line of sight, yeah. yeah. Um, because like with a lot of the, the rescues going on, um, if people are down in the valleys, they have a hard time getting out, mm-hmm. like getting getting a signal out, you know, but if you're up high then, you know, it dramatically increases that. Yeah. At work, I sell, like, Garmin inreaches and spots and all of these things. He works at the equivalent of REI. Um, And the big thing that that I stress to people is, like, yeah, yeah, it keeps you safe, right? That's not the important part. Um, And it's funny, this this is, like, such a successful sales technique, um, is also it keeps the rangers who are going to come looking for you Right. When you don't show up, it keeps them safer because if they know exactly where you are. Right. And you can communicate. Mm-hmm. Well, then they're not like going down like fall lines and down ravines and, um, you know, all these different things that would increase risk. Because the more time you spend out there, the tired you're going to get, the more likely somebody's going to get hurt. Um, and that's just the search part. Well, if if all you ever have to do is rescue because you know exactly where people are. That basically increases the safety for the rangers. Mm-hmm. And especially in an area like this where... Because at any given time, like in the high peaks, how many rangers are on duty? Well, there's only seven of us that cover it. So you could have, you know, half that number. Um, we, we don't have enough staff. We, we do not cover 24-7. Mm-hmm. So there, there's nobody on duty. Like right now as we're taping this, there's probably nobody on duty. And what they do is they're really dependent on us just answering the phone and responding. But we don't have any kind of on-call system. But we're a pretty small and dedicated force, and we've really made what's really a broken system kind of work. Mm-hmm. So this weekend, yeah, there are two or three people on. We should have enough people to cover like two shifts, like mm-hmm. 16 hours a day yeah. on duty. Um, but that's just it. It's like, so now imagine you got a busy weekend where uh, you get hurt. Right, you're you're Joe Hiker. You get hurt, and then Sally Hiker with her friends, she gets hurt. Well, whoever calls in first is kind of all hands on deck. They're coming for you. <laughs> I and mean, we've had we've had that happen multiple instances going mm-hmm. on at the same time in a geographic area, and that that is tough because, like you said, once resources are committed to one rescue, one incident, we may pull some away, but you know. Depends how far in they are. They may not. And then when that second incident arises in that same, you know, ranger district for mm-hmm. us, those resources are coming from farther away. And so that, that is an issue. So you're right. Um, 
So part of the, what I wanted to do on this podcast tonight is realizing that the population has increased so much and that the resources, is, you know, from a forest range and perspective are so uh, limited. What can the population do? Like, we love this area. Like, this is why we wanted to do this podcast. We love the area. We want to preserve it. We want to take care of it. But wh- what do you say to people in all of this, whether it be preservation or safety, can we do? Yeah, the best thing that people can do is to let uh, the governor's office know that they want more forest ranger staff in the Adirondacks. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really what it boils down to. That that's the way to get done. And we've we've had we've had really broad uh, appeal and support from the public and other entities of the government. But it's it's just a tough time, and um, you know we haven't gotten to that point yet. But that that's uh, that that's really the only way to get it accomplished is to get us into the governor's mm-hmm. budget. Is that so, Governor Cormos? Well, Correct. Yeah. So all of our American friends, because um, as Canadians, we're not supposed to interfere with your like elections or stuff, or at least Ukrainians aren't. I don't know. It's, it's, the, <laughs> <laughs> it's tricky to follow. Although I'm, not, I'm, I'm ready to pay, take a picket sign. and <laughs> <laughs> I've never been more passionate about politics until now. You know. With, with, you asked. You're not the only one. Yeah. Um, but, but one of the interesting things you'll run into is uh, basically setting up the the structure so that um in a sense you're not needed as much mm-hmm. right because like the other the other piece is like educating people so they don't fuck up like like the the I, like <clears throat> excuse me um running into like the amount of people i see when we're out on the trail that are ill equipped don't um always have the the best knowledge yeah um i think the more people that sort of get educated and trained like it's almost too bad that there isn't like classes that people could take go ahead well i mean there there is we we call that doing preventative search and rescue you know so it's it's giving that message to prevent the search and rescue incident and that's one of the things like we want to be out out doing and is is being at the trailheads and on the trail interacting with the public and spreading that message but there's been all sorts of things talked about um to try and get around this problem you know if you go to other park systems you'll have to get permits and you'll meet with the rangers in advance mm-hmm. but one of the things that everybody loves about the adirondacks is how open it is right yeah, it's, it's open 24 7 you come here you really you need no permits for the most part whether mm-hmm. you're rafting or climbing or hiking mm-hmm. But that does come at a cost, and you can see that. We have more search and rescue incidents in most places because it is so open. And sure, the the information is there for people that do the work, but it's not forced on them. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's not a ranger gotcha. at the trailhead gotcha. that's given yeah. that information. Yeah. Do you because think there should be a permit system? I would like to see, personally, I'd like to see a permit system only to start with for camping in the backcountry. And... I would like that because uh, you have a finite number of campsites. You know, the High Peaks Wilderness is moving to designated sites only, and that will probably take effect next year. So if you only have 200 campsites, I just made that number up, but if you have that number of sites, I don't think it would be wise use to allow 300 people to go back to those sites. And we don't have a mechanism or an information exchange to prevent that. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So when I go out other places, I love getting the permit for a backcountry site because I know it's a reservation system. Yeah. I go there, I got it. Right now, if I'm going to go into Marcy Dam, yes, there's a lot of spots, but I have no idea if there's 50 people there or 10. Yeah. So I think that would be a wise use because it would be, you know you have a, a finite number of campsites so let's permit for those campsites. And you can only do it for the summer. You know, we're talking between May and October. And we have an online permit system that we use for our, our uh, campgrounds. We mm-hmm. could utilize that. So I would go there first. I'm not really, at this point, I, I would, you get this debate sometimes going on right now in, in a high peak. Some people use the term overuse. There's overuse. All these people come in, it's overuse. And I'm not saying that's wrong. And you have other people say what we lack is infrastructure and staffing. Mm-hmm. So we have, um, it's not too many people. It's that there's not enough infrastructure. There's not enough parking. There's not enough shuttle buses. There's not enough rangers, that kind of thing. Um, so that's kind of two ways of parsing the same problem and explaining it differently. And I'm not saying, well, I guess I would, I guess my point is that I tend to gear towards that, um, we can manage the, the amount of use that I see coming in here. I believe we can with mm-hmm. the appropriate infrastructure and the appropriate staff. So I don't really want to see a permits to limit it at this time. And when you say permit, it's just like a reservation system or that with money? Well, some people, there's some you know green groups and advocates that are suggesting we put a, um, a cap on the amount of people that are able to go into certain areas. And I'm, I'm not in favor of that at this time. You also see... Ecologically speaking, clustering is, is good. You know, clustering is better for the environment. Um, spreading them around is not so good. Mm. Um, now, if you're getting into the existential wilderness experience mm. for us, yes, um, I do not get a wilderness experience on Cascade with 600 people up there. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as protecting the resource... Yeah, clustering is good. It's it's good to have all those people there because that allows this other peak, that allows the J wilderness and hurricane to have much fewer. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's almost like with the the Dax, like some of the rock stars get all the traffic because you know Cascade gets a lot because it's very accessible. You know, um, you'll get I don't know, like based on the 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 parking tickets. <laughs> Um, I would think a lot of people are going up giant. Uh, yeah, well, there. see, by Cascade, there wasn't a no parking zone. Yeah. There wasn't an extensive one because they already had that guard railed off. So this, they were kind of bringing it in, in waves. They're going to close the Cascade trailhead and move it to another spot, the oh, Elk okay. and Hovenberg Center. Mm-hmm. But along giant, yeah, that had a long mile section of no parking. So that's why all, most of the tickets were down there. Yeah, because... We run into the thing where when we were down there, because um, you stay at the the Chapel Pond Outlet Climbers Camp. Yeah, yeah. And you know the the regular weekend hikers don't know anything about it, uh, so you know we get in, we park, and then we walk over, and it's just insane. You know whether we're going to the beer walls or or uh, you know heading up Chapel Pond Slab, like the amount of like cars parked along there, like. <coughs> Just the tickets alone would fuel the park. <laughs> well, that that is one of the issues is that a lot of provincial parks, state parks, you know, there's a gate, there's there's money that's paid mm-hmm. to go in here. It's free here. Yeah. You know, and I I think that's that's probably why we have so little staff. We've been reaching out and working with other partners with ADK Mountain Club has done a great job. 
But I think that's the main reason why we don't have better staff and infrastructure because we're just not collecting money from it. Yeah. We're just not collecting money from the users. I think you should. I don't think that, yes, you're putting in 500,000 hours. People could say, well, that's the money. I'm like, fuck that. That's your life. Yeah. It's yeah. not sustainable. You know, because how you attract more people to come and do that, right? Especially in today's age, millennials, yeah. they don't want to, <laughs> <laughs> they want to do it part time. Yeah. You know, from home. From home. Yeah. Like they're going to be park rangers from home. Yeah. Um, so let, let's uh, talk about sort of some of the notable yeah. um, search and rescues. Sure. Because it, I want just as a, both education and a hobby, I read from all over, like the American Alpine Association's um, uh, accident guide every year. Uh, and I think it's like the Adirondack Almanac seems to have yeah, all the of Adirondack their... Almanac does a really good job of posting them. Yeah. And so it's it's the write-up uh, of what happened, when the rangers were called yeah. out, how they addressed it. Mm-hmm. Um you know, kind of an assessment at the end of like what went good and what didn't and whose fault was it? Like this person should have been better prepared. <laughs> um, yeah. We do put that in the report sometimes. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'll occasionally on my Twitter feed, I'll occasionally, you know, put a photo of like somebody's footwear or something like that. And uh, I've gotten a little pushback sometimes that I'm shaming, but I never actually say who it is. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the feed, you can see, I mean, we've had people, in loafers and it's just amazing what what we'll see well yeah because when you get people out here in flip-flops and oh my god yeah it's one thing like if you want to go no like, water or yeah. a small little well actually the the best i ever saw um i was coming down off of marcy it was like uh like late may and this really like heavy set dude with like a matching basketball uniform on like you know, L.A. Lakers or something, or maybe New York Knicks. You know, I, I'm not big on the sports, but, you know, but it, like, it all matched. <laughs> wearing, like, Air Jordans. Oh, my God. And he had a one-gallon jug of water in his hand. Tank top. Like, if you had, a like, a weather change, you know, <laughs> when those thunderstorms hit and it gets, like, hail and icing and, you know, really cold, this guy's screwed, <laughs> you know? And you see that kind of thing over and over. And then the... Uh, but you were going to talk about some epic... Search and rescue. Yeah. Because what I figured, let's do a couple winter ones and then one or two mm-hmm. summer ones just so people can understand the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but with Saddleback, if I'm not mistaken, a uh, fellow was descending it and slipped and broke his ankle or his leg. Yeah. Yeah. Now, basically, why don't you take off with? Yeah. So it was, it was uh, in the middle of winter. And it was it was two hikers, and he was coming down to Saddleback Ledges. So he's he's on the Great Range. He's going from Saddleback to Basin, and you really can't get farther away in the Adirondacks and still be on a trail. It's it's one of the it's probably the remote most remote and difficult spots to get to. It's probably the the most difficult and dangerous marked trail in the Adirondacks. Yeah. Too. Well, it's also scary to do in the summer. It's the one I freaked out on. Anyway. It's scary to do in the summer. Yeah. Yeah. So they were descending that, which we don't recommend. You know, we always tell people to go the other way. It's, it's always easier to go up. You have more you can, injuries yeah. going down, descending. So he didn't have, cramp, one of them didn't have crampons on. He had microspikes trying to get down, and he slipped and fell and um, had a leg injury. He was, unstable leg injury, um, broken leg. 
And so his, he, he basically went over the edge, right? And kind of yeah, slid down. The, he slid he slid down. I think they said he, he you know, it was a fall of maybe 15 feet. That's it? 10 to 15. Yeah, it doesn't take much. You know, that's that'll do it. Okay. Yeah. So his partner, there was no cell coverage right at the base there because you're, you're right deep in a spot. So his partner had to then climb a mile to get on the summit of base, which took some time. So that phone call came in, and there were a number of us working that day. And it's like, wow, this is the one we've been kind of dreading in terms of the location. And it, it, you have less daylight in the winter. We know this. We know immediately at the onset, by the time the call comes in, we know this is one that's going to take a day or more to get the personnel because there's no helicopter available to us. Um, if the weather was Why? good, because of the weather, because gotcha. the, the wind speed and, and the mm-hmm. cloud cover. Time of the year. Yeah. Um, so we can do a hoist operation, lower somebody on a cable and bring them up if the weather's good. But when um, if it's windy, if it's too cloudy, that doesn't work. So we knew right away this was a bad weather day. So we started gathering up the resources, putting a plan into place, how we're going to go and get to that person. And we actually were going in through the Sable Club. Mm-hmm. Um, cause that was kind of a roundabout way to go in, but it allowed us snowmobile ac- access because you can't get to the, where this person is on a range by snowmobile, but going in through the Sable club on this lake, we could come in by the, the area we were talking about before coming in haystack by snowbird, yep. then go over basin. And so we had, um, we had about 15 or so rangers heading in, but then there's all sorts of support staff. So our plan was that day is to let's get to them. It's late in the day. We're going to get up there with what we call our, our cold weather high mountain module, which is basically a four-person North Face tent with a sleeping bags and enough food for day two. We're going to get to that person, stabilize the injury, spend the night with them, and then get them out the next day because the rescue component of that is going to be intense. We're going to, you know, you're between two mountains, so you either got to go up over the mountains or down through the woods through a drainage, you know, a bit of an unchartered way. So we started up that way, and what, what made it epic for us is we had what we call an incident within, within an incident, mm-hmm. meaning that one of our rangers actually got hurt going up basin. Um, that was a, a tremendous amount of ice flow on the trail that year because we talked about the, the weather, the, the thaw, and, and refreeze. So there was just you – needed, you needed crampons just for hiking on the trails. And, um, you know, we, of course, did, but we had someone that got hurt – so then there was there was five of us carrying all this gear up there. So now it was about 2 a.m. and we we're near the summit of base and we have to take care of one of our own. So we start doing that. So we set the tent up. We take care of the other ranger. Um, and then we're kind of trying to regroup. So we're on the radio and we're calling down to the command post explaining what's been what's going on. And remember that the rescue wave is coming behind us, but they're you know, hours away. This is two in the morning now. And this accident already happened 10, 12 hours ago. Wow. So and what were the temperatures like? It, it, it wasn't that bad. Um, yeah, it was, um, it was around zero Fahrenheit. I'd say with the wind, it was, you know, 15 to 20 below wow. if you were, you know, in an exposed spot. And was that hiker that was uh, hurt uh, prepared? Like, were they backpacking or just hiking? They were just hiking. You know, they had they had good gear. They weren't prepared to spend the night. Right. And um, okay. so we put our the ranger in the tent, and then myself and another ranger 
we called down and I said, is there any way the two of you can go and, and leave them behind? And we just looked at each other. We were fearful that the person wouldn't make it through the night. Um, we knew they didn't have enough gear to, uh, you know, they, they may have survived, but it was questionable, you know, um, not because of the leg injury, but because of the, the elements. Yep. So we each put a sleeping bag, a bivy, and a sleeping pad in our pack and all of our regular gear. And we went on. So we were, you know, not crazy amount of weight, but probably, you know, 40 pounds or so. And we pushed up over Basin. And we actually had a hard time finding the trail um, in the middle of the night or getting towards morning because so much of it had blown in with snow. And that one can be difficult to find anyway mm -hmm. from that side. So then we made our way over Basin, over the, the another false summit of Basin, and then down to them. And now it's it's daylight. So now it's been 16 hours since the person got hurt and we're arriving to him. I'll never forget seeing him. Um, his partner was doing well. He was, he was good. He walked up a ways to find us and bring us down to him. But when I saw the guy who was injured, it was almost like he was attached to the ground, like he was frozen into the ground. Wow. He was shivering, which was good. Yeah. I mean, because his body was still compensating. And he's just like, oh, man, it's, it's, it's so good to see you. And he just looked like he was frozen into the ground. And we're exhausted by this point ourselves. So, and we also got to take care of the other guy, his partner. Like, mm -hmm. his partner had been taking care of him all night, giving him all his resources, keeping him going. Mm -hmm. That guy's going to sit here a while. We got to take care of him as well. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like you have two victims. Only one of them has a broken leg. Right. So we... We take a look at um, we take a look at the leg and stabilize it, splint it as best we can. But we what we really know we got to do is to take care of the cold challenge for him. So I actually had a, a blanket that has these heating pads on it, just like your hand warmers, just woven into the blanket. Oh, wow. So we whip that out, put that on him, get him into my forty below sleeping bag, get him in a pad, get him in dry clothes, get him as comfortable as he can. And then we did the same thing with his buddy too, because his buddy had been up all night and been taking care of him. So he, that guy's got to sleep. They had mm -hmm. So we put him in the other ranger sleeping bag. So now we got them stabilized and it's morning and the next, the rescue teams are coming now it's waves, but you know, these are Rangers that live, this is a 6 million acre park. So these range, some of these Rangers drove two hours just to get to the trailhead. You know, wow. there's only seven of us that live in this district. So we now we got nothing because we gave all our gear to them. So we put on our puffy coats all our extra stuff. Wait, 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 wait. So they've got all the stuff. So you're just in your puffy coats? So we're just in our puffy gear. Holy shit. And we're just sitting there. Shivering. And yeah, occasionally we'd shiver and, you know, you try and get some sleep, but then you'd start to, you know, shiver yourself awake. And we sat there for about six hours, giving them, we cooked some food for them. Mm -hmm. And it was great. At one point, the guy with the broken leg, like, uh, who looked like he was frozen to the ground when he arrived, like, you know, how you doing? How you doing? And he's like, man, it's getting hot in here. Like he has to zip, <laughs> he has to zip down his sleeping bag to let some, some of the, the heat out, you know? So they're doing well, they're doing well. But, um, talking to the ranger with me, I said, man, you know, I got to go because I'm, I'm at risk of becoming a victim. Yeah. And that was really hard. And the, the ranger with me was doing better than I was. He, he was hanging in there better. He really didn't want to go because we wanted to be part of the rescue team. Like right? We didn't want to leave because we're just taking care of the guy. The yeah. rescue part hadn't even arrived yet. Mm -hmm. That's a whole nother epic story. Yeah. And that was a hard part. And I, he came back with me, but you know, we sat there for six hours. So then we backed out and left them alone. And 
we passed the other team of rangers coming in and advised them what was going on. It wasn't a long time that they were alone, but we actually had to leave them alone for a while and back to other. And I actually got a, a little bit of frostbite myself on my toes on that one. And I have really good mountaineering boots or co-flax. You know, I've taken up in the year and stuff, but they're getting a little like me. They got some age on them. And, uh, you know, when you spend that much money on gear, you're not maybe replacing it as quick as you as you should. So even in those mountaineering boots, I got I got a tad bit of frostbite myself. But um, then the next wave of rangers came in and, and did an incredible job of effectuating that rescue. They got him loaded up. They went down this drainage on a slide that's, you know, off a trail. Yeah, Not, chicken Coop, right? Yeah, Chicken Coop Brook. Yep. So they took him out through there, and we had another wave of rangers came in from the Johnsburg Valley and were able to relieve them. And they hauled them all the way out, and they got out around midnight the next day. Wow. So it was about 36 hours to implement that rescue. It was like 45 guys. Yeah. And what were people? People, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Yeah, and this is this is that thing for people to understand. Like uh the Rangers are going to do everything they can for you, but like this terrain oh, is God. no joke, right? But it, it's one of those things where, you know, as somebody who's fairly experienced of hiking this stuff, well, you guys aren't running ultralight gear, right? You got rescue gear. No. <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, we had to carry a litter up there. Yeah. I mean, so we carried a, a a big heavy north face tent. It was awesome, but we carried that up there. We're carrying um, even the sleeping bags. Like we're we're um, we're using synthetics or heavier but more yeah. durable. So yes, we're not going ultralight trying to uh, peak bag. We're carrying in all the rescue here. This rescue involved a lot of ropes, a lot of hardware. Um, so it was it was very labor intensive. Yeah, because I'm just thinking, you know, going up basin. It's one thing to do it with like 35 pounds of gear on, right? But like these guys like having to drag up a basket and probably a sled and... Yeah, we used a polk. So I was pulling a polk up with the gear behind me for a ways. Then it got a little too steep. And then, then I transitioned because it does pull nicely. Yeah. But once you get too steep mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, the it's way our you. trails are, then I transitioned it all on our backs and went yeah, that way. Is that, that's the thing. It's like... Uh, pulling a sled you know with a harness and everything it's awesome in ontario yeah it's flat it's flat <laughs> you know you, you use all the frozen lakes as your freeway and but what was the, what was your elevation houses? gain from the bottom of the trailhead to like how much up and down up and down yeah so it would have been the uh, upper lake on the sable club which is let's it's it's a it's above a thousand and then obviously a basin you know we were at uh 40 48 so how long did that take you to get to him ish? Well, that's the thing. That it, it, it took us a it took us a long time. Um, I'm not sure what time we left uh, left the warden's camp. Um, the call came in in early afternoon, um, so we didn't get to him for I think it was 14 or 16 hours from the time the call came in when right. I'm first notified. Yeah, yeah. You know, roadside. The time to get to him it was yeah. that long. Wow. Yeah, because and that sort of raises the thing like. Um, obviously you guys have to stay in good shape. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The, the job will, will do that to you. It's, um, you know, when I came on, I was 23 and, um, that is, it's definitely a big, big part of it. Um, you know, and now I'm one of the older Rangers. Um, and I, I tend to, get, I get past now. Um, but yeah, that's a big part of it. The fitness level. Yeah. Because like. You can't help anybody if you're fried, <laughs> you know. Yeah, uh, and because that, that's a thing you run into. Like it, 
this terrain is so bloody brutal. That's a big part of why, you know, I'm I'm retiring next year and that honestly is a big part of it. Oh, are you really? Yeah, just there's there's um it's time. There, there's there's yeah. a lot younger rangers that are honestly more fit and you, also with younger people like you see the things they do like their skill set mm-hmm. like it's like every generation seems to improve like they can climb higher and faster and um so yeah but it's, it's been a great run but i i definitely you know you don't want to stay too long yeah like i tell that story like i got a oh, i got a little bit of frostbite on my toes but i don't want to be that one that gotcha you know has something worse so. mm-hmm. yeah yeah 25 years is is, is plenty yeah. But um, the reason why I asked how long did it take you to get up there is, is a point that if something happens to you, don't think they're going to be there in a couple of hours. Like you should always be prepared. And I, even for today's hike up Mount Baxter, mm-hmm. you know, you're like, hey, you got your fire kit. You got your this, you got your that. You know, and, and I wasn't honestly thinking of any of that. Yeah. But I'm like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right. You know, and, 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 it's and normally not we're far... very particular about moisture. We actually control. get quite a few. We, we get quite a few rescues on now on Baker. We get Do quite, you we get quite a few rescues on that. I think I had two or three this summer. This summer. Yeah. Really. Yeah. We had a couple carryouts there this summer. Yeah. I mean, people will will take a a trip and fall. You know, Eddie Mountain. Yeah, I yeah. saw that Mountain Joe not too long ago with noise crampons or no. Yeah, we had yeah. one on Mount Joe not long ago. Yeah. You know, and then people going into the woods with no headlamps. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, this this summer we had somebody that we had to rescue on consecutive nights because there's no headlamp because they didn't have it. So if you don't have people hear it all the time, oh, I was only going to go for the day, if, you know, a little distance. I didn't need one. But... W- when it gets dark, it's dark. You're not moving. And even utilizing the the light from your phone. But this year we had somebody, they get stuck and they couldn't move. And so it's it's a pretty easy rescue. You walk in, you give them a light, and you walk out with them. Um, so we did that. Lesson learned. And then the next night we had a call same again. Same person? The same person. The exact same situation. <laughs> Hiked a different place. Took them longer than they thought, and they called. And it got even worse because we got to them, and of course they were embarrassed. But like, you know, I actually did go and buy a headlamp, and they did, and there it was in their car. Yeah, like, so we had to rescue them for not having a headlamp. They did go out and buy one, and it still didn't make its way. All into right. Their pack. So when you rescue somebody, <laughs> do you pass over a bill to them? Like, do no, you, no, you don't, eh? Nope. Like I, I know in New Hampshire they do the thing of like New Hampshire does yeah. it, their their view because I've talked to some rangers there yeah. is if you had bad luck it'll be a small bill or no bill if you're an idiot you're paying through the nose yeah that law doesn't exist here that's so yeah. that's the hike hike safe program in yeah. New Hampshire and they will bill you if if you're at fault if you're <laughs> negligent and it's meant to be a deterrent and also a way to recoup funds and. And it's, they're not the only state that has it, but they're the state that's most active in actually enforcing it. So there, there's numerous other states, including Colorado, that has it on the books, but New Hampshire is actually enforcing, enforcing it. it. Yeah. Interesting. They're giving you a bill. So here's the thing. Until I met Winston, I honestly did not know, did not ever think to have a headlamp. I just didn't. Mm-hmm. So um, are there, so say there's other people like me that don't know, like, what, what would you recommend? 
Like, are you big into the 10 Essentials? 10 Essentials is, is still really good. And we're, we're using that in our PSAR preventative search and rescue. So, yeah, the 10 Essentials are good. And you can boil it down. But the head, the amazing thing about headlamps is, like, I think about when I first started. And it yeah. was plastic and had uh, four double D, you know, four yeah. D cell batteries, four C cell batteries, and a cord that went around. And now it's, like, it weighs a couple of ounces, and it will blind you if you. And will blind it. you, and you can buy it. They're so they're they're better and cheaper now than ever. Yeah. Like you, you don't really. It's nice to have the good ones, but you can buy anything yeah. for. Well, when you think like something like a, the the Black Diamond Revolt, right? It's rechargeable now, up to three hundred and fifty lumens, and and it runs on regular batteries too. Like Canadian, it's sixty nine bucks, right? A Black Diamond Spot is forty nine Canadian, yeah. so like it's going to be cheaper American. Yeah. Um, like and they they're waterproof and yeah there's no excuse not yeah. to have a light source with you <laughs> no you're anymore. you're absolutely there's none there, yeah. you're absolutely right there's no excuse not to have one but do you not but it, there is I do see the excuse of not knowing to have one do yeah. you see what I'm saying like yep. somebody who's never ever done this before I'm going I'm going fucking hiking you know I'm not going to spend the day that's not the intention you know what I mean mm-hmm. and then you're like oh shit and that happens to us all the time either have been times that you've been caught without your headlamp i'm like but i only get caught without my headlamp rock climbing <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah exactly or i'll i'm like take my garmin and reach explore you never know and it's a good thing you you did because you guys are like my friend mrs plane <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know they were an adventure but i almost wonder if it would be helpful a sign saying these are the 10 essentials like Seriously, do it, new. You know, our our trailheads, I think, you know, lack some of the information. You know, it, so for my, for my vacations, you know, I still recreate. I just go other places. You know, I'm not hiking in the Adirondacks. Where do you for go? My vacation, all over the place. You know, like this year we went to Olympic National Park. Um, and and so whenever I go somewhere else, I'm I'm always checking to see how their information exchange is. Sure. And I I we we lack on that in the Adirondacks. We definitely do. You yeah, because you seem to be good with bears, like as far as the signage. For right, yes. right, yeah. Yes. I mean, the Adirondack Lodge, the H-Pick, I mean, that is awesome, but that's still just one spot mm-hmm. in a six million acre park. So overall, I think we're still lacking in that. You know, because that's, it, it's always one of these things where um, there's the shit happens, right? I've... Fully equipped, but like when I went back and was rehiking the Appalachian Trail a few years ago, and coming down Mount Musilaki in New Hampshire, I just put my foot wrong, and you know it took six months for my ankle to heal. Like that was my trip was over. You know, like I hiked my ass out to the road after that, and it was just wet log, boom. Right, I was never in danger because I had everything with me. Right, I put warm clothes on when I when I had stopped for a while, and you know taped up my ankle, blah blah blah. But that kind of thing can happen. Um, when you when you see the people out there where it's like uh, jeans in the cold, like in the wintertime, no micro spikes, no crampons, no snowshoes. Like I know in the in the like in the high peaks wilderness, if there's more than eight inches of snow, you have to have snowshoes or skis. Yeah, yeah. Um, and use them because it, it people who think you can just walk on this stuff, especially if if you know, you've had a fresh snowfall and nobody's cut the trail. Like, you're gonna die. <laughs> you're gonna wrench a knee. Well, even a, even a trail, even if the trail is packed in, you know, we we've had this a few times with people that have gotten lost, you know, on a summit. So they they don't have snowshoes on. Mm-hmm. 
But when they get lost and on trail and they're trying to navigate back towards a trail, mm -hmm. um, they're not moving well without yeah. snowshoes. Yeah. Well, because and that's that's sort of the other big one um, is the young couple that get lost on Algonquin. Yeah. Um, and Algonquin's like the second highest mountain in, mm -hmm. in the high peaks behind Marcy. Yeah. Uh, and it's rugged as hell. Uh, you know, like you're looking probably like three and a half miles from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, about four miles. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not super, super long, but you're gaining like 3,200. Yeah, it's feet. a really long four miles time wise. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, see, they started out with pretty good weather, but I believe that one was in December too. So the least amount of daylight. And he had pretty good gear. Uh, she didn't, but in his mind, I think he was like, "I'll, you know, I'll take care of her. If something happens with my gear." And when they got to the summit, it was it was nice. They made it there okay, but then they got caught in a whiteout in the top, and they probably they lacked the experience and skills to navigate in that. Mm -hmm. And he just it was kind of unusual what he did, but there was he basically just walked in an area that he could see. So if it's white out over here but i can see you know i can't see anything that way but i can see 20 feet in front of me this way so i'm going to go that way mm -hmm. which doesn't make any sense except i guess he felt like he, they had to move and that took him on the wrong side of the mountain and then they kind of slipped down um kind of a an ice sheet on the one side and then they only had one set of snowshoes that they didn't have to use all day but so she had none and then they got stuck and they got they got stopped and they just hunker down, which was unusual for Algonquin because we do have um, patterns that we see people take when they get lost. Mm -hmm. And on Marcy, when people get lost in winter, they tend to hunker down in snow cave because they get pushed to the east and the east face of Marthy looking, looking down to Panther Gorge, it's a wall. Yeah. And it's hard to get down. There's a couple narrow bands you can get down if you're not experienced. But for the most part, they snow cave, they spend the night, they're on the summit area. And they're sheltered is basically it, right? They just, just make a hole in the snow and spend the night. Gotcha. Because they lack areas to move. But Algonquin's different. They tend to, generally with the winds, they tend to, they tend to wind up more towards the west. And there's a couple of big drainages that act as funnels and, and collects our wayward lost mountaineers. And so we have all this data that shows, okay, when somebody gets lost on Algonquin and this kind of wind and this kind of weather, they tend to show up here. So we had that information searching for them. So after that first night, I was up looking for them on the summit and I couldn't find them. I'm yelling toward them. But, you know, the tracks are blown over. My tracks were blown over 10, 15 minutes later. Wow. So I backtrack out of there and I come down. Now it's the next morning. And, you know, I figure, hey, just like everybody else, they're going to come out at Scott's Clearing, Scott's Lean To. Mm -hmm. So I set up a search assignments. I had all these rangers coming in, go up this drainage and this drainage and this drainage and this drainage. Of course, I had people on the summit as well. But um, then I went home because I'd been up all night and then I'm, you know, late in the afternoon. Okay, where'd you find them? Yeah. They didn't find them. And that was really shocking to me and stunning. And again, this was another day with no helicopter. We couldn't fly because mm -hmm. the helicopter does work well above tree line in mm -hmm. winter because you can see the tracks. Mm -hmm. They can signal. Do they, do they have like a forward looking infrared on those? We do. Yeah. Because then it's like, everything's cold, warm part. Yeah, yep. Mm -hmm. But again, a helicopter couldn't fly. So now, I, I really couldn't believe because now these kids are going to be spending their second night in the woods. And survivability drops dramatically. Anybody can, almost, almost, we've seen a few that have died from hypothermia the first night. But the vast majority of our hikers have survived that first night. It can be really tough on them. 
But that second night survivability drops dramatically. So going into now that third operational period of the search, it's pretty dramatic. Um, but we know we had covered all those drainages where I expected to find them. And the group of rangers that had been on the summit that next day, that, that, that second day, they had the same pea soup, whiteout stuff. They couldn't hear anything, couldn't see anything. So we put almost all of our resources on the summit for that third day third operational period and we just were in a grid pattern basically people to your left and right you know 20 30 feet apart and just started going around and the helicopter still couldn't fly but the weather got a little better so a helicopter was flying into the lake holding outpost to drop off more rescuers more searchers and part of the search pattern is that you walk for a little bit you're looking for things and you stop and you yell mm-hmm. it's really how you find them mm-hmm. in in that environment and you do that maybe every minute or so, but you don't have a stopwatch on. It's not like, okay, it's been it's been 60 seconds time to yell again. It's just kind of like, okay, I have to walk. I've taken a few steps. Hey, hold on. Let's yell. Well, what happened was that helicopter was flying below us and the missing couple heard that helicopter, first helicopter they've heard in two days, and they yelled for the helicopter. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden we heard a woman's voice. And I looked at the searcher to my left. And, Did you hear that? Yeah, I heard that. We yelled back to them and they're ecstatic to us. And they were still um, a couple hundred yards downhill from us. And we went down to them and they were in rough shape. Um, she couldn't she couldn't really move anymore. But again, they were, they were shivering, which was a really good sign. Mm-hmm. So we got them in our sleeping bags. But the weather was so bad. Like I said, the helicopter couldn't fly up to us. It could only fly in the valley. So it's going to involve a whole other rescue team to get them out because they can't walk. Like they're not going to be able to walk. So now it's it's two people. It's two rescue sleds. So it's, again, it's another 40 or 50 rangers and other you wow. know, rescue volunteers coming in. So I kept calling down to that helicopter. Can you know if, if you get a break in the weather, please make a shot at this. We'll have them harnessed up. They're going to be ready. You know, give it a go. And that helicopter kept coming up, you know, and I'd hear it, but I couldn't see it. Then they turn around. And to this day, I've wondered, like, did I put too much pressure on that pilot? It's always the pilot's no-go. You know, it's their decision, go or not go. But I wonder, like, was he hearing in my voice? Was I putting too much pressure on him? Because he kept trying. He kept trying. And eventually, he made it up to me. And if, if people are listening to this, they can go online. If you probably just go to Google and type in, you know, Winter Rescue Algonquin Adirondacks, you'll get to see this video. And there's there's about a 20-second video of hauling in the second hiker onto the helicopter and it's it's pretty stark um you can see how bad the visibility is the helicopter is the tail is dropping and the nose eight is feet. dropping <laughs> eight feet i heard that on the did i tell that story <laughs> <Yeah>. podcast yes <laughs> guys so no, 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 you're like 10 feet 10 feet guys oh i thought i was eight <laughs> i'm good i got eight i can't remember what you said but yeah, yeah. Like so um i always yeah. wondered if we pushed that yeah. the the pilot too much but we got him out of there and the, the greatest irony of that is what? like an hour later bluebird skies fuck the weather was perfect after you know and i just couldn't imagine like my god what would happen if that helicopter crashed and you know we killed four people trying to get those kids out and an hour later like the skies were perfect so what would have happened if the helicopter couldn't have done it well, um, we did have a rescue team on the way up, but it probably would have been another 10 hours oh, to get them so out. Really so you could see why, like, the urgency was there. Because I, when the helicopter came, I had him in the hospital in 10 minutes. Wow. You know, once the helicopter picked up, they're in the hospital in 10 minutes. Wow. Whereas I would have had 10 hours. 
to get him to a hospital. Yeah, because you can just fly, whether it's Lake Placid or Saranac Lake. Exactly. Just land on the roof of the medical center and it's yeah. your problem now. Yeah. <laughs> Warm them up. Because um, what... It, and this is one where uh, I think it was in the fall. There was a young man. Um, he didn't end up making it, but uh, came in, um, had like basically he was backpacking, but it was like wearing sandals and. Oh, oh you're talking on um, uh, wall face. Yeah, yeah, that one was uh, that one was really tough on us. Um, he was alive a long time in there. So he, he, let's see, how do I talk about that one? Um, well, I'm just trying to, in my head here, before I, <laughs> I start talking to the microphone, I'm trying to think what is appropriate to yeah. say and not, yeah, take your not time. give away, you know, some of the information and be sensitive to the family. Cause you know, this one involved a fatality, mm-hmm. but basically it's someone who had, was a climber and had climbing experience, but they weren't really going in there to climb. They're going in to check out wall face, if you mm-hmm. will, you know, but he stood out in everybody's mind because wall faces, you know, diagonal. It's so popular yeah. now. I mean, it's incredible. I I used to see a few people a year that would climb that. Now, now on a busy weekend, it's a few people on the same route, you know. So he he was going in there, and as people were coming out, he was really standing out to them because he had sandals on, just looked so ill prepared, and um. Trying to think how to tell the story. We didn't know he was in there and we didn't know he was missing and his family didn't know he was missing. Um, he told his family he was going to a, um, like a concert, like not, not for one night, but one of these like, festivals. Uh, yeah, music festivals. So they didn't know he was missing for quite some time. So he had actually been lost in the woods for a week. Oh, wow. Before we were ever notified yeah. that he was missing. So you can imagine how difficult that made it to. So what we started to do was, you know, we sent people in the woods right away. But we also started working on the register sheets, calling people who were in there when he was. Did you see this person? This is what he looked like. And as I was calling people, I'll never forget one, one of the people I called. You know, I call him and say, hi, my name is Forest Ranger Van Lair. I'm calling from the Adirondacks. I saw you signed in at the Hawes to do wall face on such and such a day. And the man goes, no, oh, no, 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 you're not. And so he's saying that to me before I even explain what the situation is because he knew what I was about to ask because he saw the missing person. So it stood out in his mind. So... I think he even thought about like calling the Rangers when he got out to say, Hey, I just saw this guy that made no sense. Didn't make any sense that he was there. So it was really registering with all the climbers and hikers who saw him. And they, that one guy in particular saw him at the campsite. That's basically at the base of the route Mm -hmm. and talked to him. And he's like, Oh no, no, you you can't climb this. This is so many pitches. and, And you know, um, and he's like, well, is there, is, you know, where's the climber's path? How do people come down? And he's like, well, it's, it's over there and you could bushwhack it this way. You know, you can take the walk off if yeah, but almost there. everybody repels off that. Right. Exactly. And yeah, it's, it, it's not a good walk off. No. <laughs> well, wall face is one that doesn't have any like official trails to the top of it. Right. You know, other than the climbing. Yeah. Uh, and because I've done so that. This before. sounds like a class five, not even a four. Oh no. no oh no, no. Yeah. Yeah. It's five. Yeah. Like no. it's. Like five eight was diagonal. Oh my god! 
right. Yeah, and it's, I'm not sure, I'm trying to think of how many pitches it is off the top of my head. I think head. it's like eight. I think like it's, it's a thousand feet. Yeah, it might even be more. Um, anyway, well, this this hiker, uh, he did bushwhack to the summit. He made it to the top. And um, we found where we were quite certain he had camped. So we found some of his stuff where he'd he'd slept a night. And this, you know, we got the search going and we're searching the summit area. And this search went on for the better part of a week. And we even cut out a landing zone on top of the mountain because talk about remote places to get to. Mm -hmm. So the last known point for him was basically on the summit. We could see where he camped. And some wicked bad weather came in, like hypothermia weather, 35 degrees Fahrenheit, pouring rain, inch or more of rain. And we knew that he had Tevas, a T-shirt, and shorts. So, you know, and he'd been missing for a week before he even started. So we cleared a landing zone. We're bringing a helicopter in. We had searchers. We set up a base camp where rangers were camping in the woods so they could maximize their searching time. And we didn't find him for another week, and we found him deceased. And that one was tough for us because of, uh, you know, he was alive for considerable time. You know, he did not, uh, you know... People a lot of times think they'll see someone on a trail and um, you know, even professional searchers. You know, you, The reason we say to keep that ad- positive attitude on all these instances because people do survive. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've have, we have found people that have survived five, six, seven days. And um, this was really hard on us because we didn't get to them in time. And you know, I'm not putting blame on myself or any of the yeah. other rangers. Um, but... Uh, that one was tough for us to know that he was alive out there for a while while we were, we were searching him. And, and it's not the only story like this in the Adirondacks. Mm-hmm. There's, if you go through, you can see there was a, a very famous one in the eighties um, on the Northville Plaza trail, David Boomauer. Um, and he lasted for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, people are tough. Humans are really tough. And uh, he survived that hypothermia event and he managed for, for days. Yeah, because the big thing comes in is that I, I use these as kind of like illustrations for people. Um, number one, always have a check-in buddy so that yeah. don't tell your parents you're going to you know a, a music festival. Like, and it doesn't have to be your parents. Like, but you need a check-in buddy where it's like I'm going here. If you don't hear back from me by this time, call these people, <laughs> right? So you always have that in place. Yeah, that's yeah. that's crucial and. And the things nowadays, one thing with, with um, it's not necessarily for that, that case in particular, but one thing with the outdoors is it's a draw for people who will want to harm themselves as well, too. And, and that's one thing as a, as a ranger that you have to deal with a lot is, you know, we, we have suicides. People commit suicide. People will go, people who are despondent will go to the vistas and mountaintops. And, you know, that's something we've had to deal with. Um, and we get numerous ones, you know, every year. And, and those, those are, are tough on us as well. But um, we work just, it, it's so important for us to find the person, you know, whether they're alive or dead, because, even if it's someone who did come here to do harm to themselves, it's so important to find closure for that family. There are people in the Adirondacks, there are people that were lost that we've never found. There's five or six people um, here in the high peaks that you know, we're still looking for. You know, we never stop. But it may slow down and you know, we can do it here and there, mm-hmm. but 
I've seen it from some of the families who have never had that closure, and it's extremely difficult for them. It's like the search goes on forever. They, they just never get an ending to it. And it does for us as well, too. Yeah, because like, I guess the, the, the biggest thing people is like, have your check-in buddy. Get some sort of like, you know, obviously your 10 essentials with you, even yep. if it's a day hike. And <clears throat> whether it's Garmin or Spot, but like one of the satellite communicators, right? Because if you get in trouble... Um, they're not relying on cell reception. Um, it doesn't mean that you're going to get uh, a ranger to where you are in like 15 minutes. It's not like, you know, and you 911 <laughs> in the city. But at least you'll know where you are too. Yeah. And and that's the thing. It's like, it's much easier for them to get to you and help you if they know exactly where you are. Like, it's just rescue, not search. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you want to come down here in any wilderness area, not just here, but these are like really valuable things for people to... Um, keep in mind, right? Like, I think rangers should be there for if something goes wrong, right? As opposed to uh, the... Bailing you out. Yeah, bailing you out because you weren't prepared. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll be there in the case, but you're right. Um, I know that one is a bit more of a heavy story. If you if you want, I can end it. I, I, can, uh, I can end it on probably the most humorous... Search and rescue we'll incident I have. Let, let's do that. And then um, we have our like final little. Sure. sure. Rapid fire. Yeah. Rapid fire. Okay. Yeah. So this, this, this is the, this is, this was reported. So you've seen it elsewhere, but I don't know if I've told the story, but it, this is the most humorous search and rescue. It's a bit blue. So I will, I will warn, warn the audience a bit here, but uh, we, we have that explicit warning on the podcast. <laughs> okay. So here it comes. So um, from Southern Florida, there was this, I, I think they were even high school kids. Um, they could have been college, but they came to New York City for an academic challenge. Um, yeah, I think they were college kids. They came. They came to New York City for this academic um, competition. So then they were down there for a few days, and they had one kind of older person that was guiding them around. Then they wanted to come see the Adirondacks, and these are nineteen, twenty, twenty-one year old kids from Miami area, never seen snow. And they're going in from Taha, so they're entering the High Peaks Wilderness from the south, and it's springtime, and they really struggle in there for a bit, and they even were seeing other hikers. They couldn't figure out how to even get back to their car, and they were at the Lake Holden Dam, and they talked to people. It's like, how do I get back? I'm a little confused. They're like, you need to go turn around and go back that way. Well, some really bad weather came in, classic hypothermia weather, inch of rain, 30, 40 degrees Fahrenheit weather again. I get to call the next day from the the bed and breakfast they're staying at. They didn't come back. So I start searching in the next day. We got rangers. At this point, we're just hiking the trails. You know, we're, we're basically sweeping the trails. And sure enough, I see them coming down the trail towards me. And they're in pretty rough shape. You know, they, they, they'd spent the night pretty rough. And I had a backpack full of clothes. And I just, I dumped it all out because this is a group of six of them. Here you go. Put on all this clothes, and it, so they're they're putting clothes on. And I think it was it was four or five men and, and one woman, and they're getting all dressed, and you know because they were in jeans and t-shirts, mm. all sorts of cotton, terrible. And I remember I remember thinking, boy, boy, they're not really taking care of her very well because they're grabbing all the clothes for herself. So she was to the point where she would just had had the space blanket on on herself, just walking down the trail, wrapped around around her, and walking down. So then the other ranger catches up to me and we're start walking out. We got several miles to get them out and we're kind of surprised at what good a shape they are. We were wondering if they got into a lean to or something and these are young kids and we're walking in the back 
and uh, the, the guys are kind of walking ahead and we're just chit-chatting. And we said, boy, it was, it was really cold. Um, how did you manage to stay warm last night with that kind of weather? And she looks at us all serious and she says, well, we peed on each other. <laughs> and my eyes just I just went like this and my, my neck snapped and I looked at the ranger to my right and I couldn't believe it and this part is a little blue and if the ranger I won't say the ranger's name but he said to me he, he looks at her and he said wow golden shower great, great idea <laughs> wow. and then she looks back and she says she goes yeah it did kind of keep us warm yeah <laughs> like if you're already wet it ain't gonna get you wetter <laughs> So the range, so of course we were like, oh my God. I've never heard of that. And then you wonder why everybody smells like pee. (laughs) (laughs) And she said something else. She goes, yeah, they they probably won't admit it, but you know, and there's things that happened last night. We'll probably never talk about. She says, so we, we start hiking out. And of course we can't wait to start telling all the other rangers and all the other people at the department of this story. You know, we're trying to keep it quiet so the public doesn't know about this. (laughs) We don't want the public to know, but we don't want to get embarrassed. Well, somehow the story made its way out Mm. and it actually made it into a newspaper And then they were getting so many pressing queries about this that our PR person actually had to come out with a statement that said, no, this is not a legitimate survival technique. Do not urinate <laughs> on each other to stay warm. It only yeah. works for jellyfish. <laughs> so that was the most humorous rescue I ever had. Oh, my gosh. Well, then, and that's the thing. That's what we want to see is rescues, you know, versus recoveries. But yeah. But it, it's one of those things where we can all learn, um, even if they don't have a happy ending, there's something we can all learn so we don't end yeah. up that way. Yeah, I, I actually think those rescue <laughs> reports are quite helpful. And uh, the Adirondacks has a Facebook page and people are constantly sharing information about what's going on. Mm-hmm. Just before you go somewhere, take it seriously. Yeah. And check the DEC website for trail conditions. You'll have to scroll down to find the area. Um, you know, but especially if you're coming in winter, like it is no joke. You are far away from anybody. It's cold. The snow's deep. You know, if it's on a main trail, it tends to get packed down pretty well. Mm-hmm. But the rest of it, like Catherine and I just going because the, the lean to we were originally going to was full. So we went like another 0.65 miles to the next one. And half of that 0.65 miles involved cutting fresh trail in three feet of snow. Yeah. We it took us trail. an it took us an hour and a half to go half yeah. a mile. And it's funny because I remember we looked out and I thought, "Oh, there's a whole lake in front of us. Let's stick to this way." And when I looked, saw it in the morning, just because we made our way back, I'm like, "What I thought I saw and what I actually did see are completely different things." Mm-hmm. So disorient, disorienting. Yeah, going around but, the dark. Um, so but rapid that, fire, rapid yeah. fire. All so right. first, favorite snowshoes. <laughs> but lightning ascents. I got a new pair a few years ago. That's what I'm going with. Um, well, and the thing comes in is like that would probably be the perfect snowshoe if they put like the boa uh, adjustment mm. on, like we have on our tubs. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Because yeah, those you are have nice. three straps on the top and one strap around the heel. I used to have a pair myself, you know. And when they got to the point where the straps needed replaced, it was like I sold it to somebody and bought a pair of tubs. Uh, yeah, because they're great snowshoes, and you can add the tails. Yeah, right. Um, favorite peak to hike here? Haystack. It's cool, isn't it? Yeah. Like. Uh, Especially in the summer, in the yeah. summer, it just if it, going from little haystack over to haystack, it's just that's that's a magical, magical bit there. Well, and it's the thing; it had been like I hadn't done it before, but a few years ago, I did haystack from the backside, 
Jesus, who thought that was a trail? <laughs> like literally, like I'm grabbing roots at the side because it's just exposed slab. You know, no holds, no nothing. Yeah, that is super steep. On that yeah, side. it's yeah. like I think he gained two thousand feet in one point two kilometers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. coming up from Panther Gorge. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is that is you know. And it is. It's like, and then once you're finally above the tree line, it's like, oh, you still got hundreds of feet to go to the summit. Like, yeah, it's it, actually much better coming from the conventional, yeah, the standard way. That's nicer. Um, but the the thing that is really cool with Haystack is it's right across Panther Gorge from Marcy. Yeah. So you can be sitting on there on a summer day, and have nobody else on that summit, and you watch the fucking ants. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Across the valley, like, you yeah. know, just packing the summit of Marcy, and it's like. It sucks to be you, you know. Yeah, now, yeah. fine. If somebody was selling tacos, maybe it would be better to be over there. But. <laughs> okay, so Peaks, which one do you like the least? Ooh, that's really tough. The least. <laughs> I can tell you. <laughs> the one we were talking about today. Like my own that I hate. All the, right, the peak I like the least. Well, I'll, I'll, all right, so I'll, I'll stick it just with the 46. Yeah. Uh, we'll stick just with that. I think my least favorite... Um, I'm gonna go with Phelps. Oh, yeah. Why? Um, I don't like how eroded that one's got mm, gotten. It's, and that's, I did notice that. Yeah, that one's the erosion there is is substantial. Um, it does have a really nice open summit to it. Um, well, we want to get to it. It's yeah. got a nice view mm-hmm. to it. But I'm gonna go with that one because it's a bit too easy to get to, and I feel like that one's even eroded more so than Cascade even. Mm. Yeah, mine is is Cuchicaraga or Couch. Yeah. Because you you make your way up into the Santanonis, uh, and then you've got like this swamp slog yeah. just to get to a like a summit that, you know, is just in the trees and it's not great views and you end up covered in mud and mosquito bites and See the Santanonis are not in my Ranger district, so I've only done them once. So all the other 46 I've done mm. many, many times. But St. Noni's I've actually only done once. So maybe if I had done them more. I'm, but So yeah, you're right about that. Because you know. I didn't want to say street or nigh, you know, because people say there's no views on there. But there's there's an aspect of those mountains yeah. that I really like a lot. Yeah, like it's really just the... the so, yeah, I could see that. Um, so let's talk quickly about uh, mountain biking. Okay. Best mountain bike areas in... in um, either Adirondack State Park as an old, as a whole, or just in the High Peaks area. Yeah, I, I mean Wilmington's definitely the go-to place around here. Um, there's a there's a, a nice trail network off the Hardy Road, and what's called the Poor Man's Downhill from the Atmospheric Center is a really nice spot. And um, if you know, you can also pay to go to the, the Whiteface Ski Center is, is if you're into the hmm. downhill stuff. What about canoe routes? Canoe routes. Um, let's see. I have done a ninety miler. Um, I, I, you know, I still I like the Essex chain. It's pretty small, but uh, I like that. And then uh, the St. Regis canoe area is still pretty prime. I also like doing some of the rivers. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but I'll I'll go with those two primary canoe areas with the Essex chain and the St. Regis canoe area. Yeah, because a lot of people, you know, here Adirondack Mountains. They don't clue in to the fact that like there's lakes everywhere. You know, lakes and rivers. Because and historically, I think actually the canoeing was a bigger part of the Adirondacks and hiking. I think. Here's a question: because the water is so cold, what's the warmest pond or like? The warmest pond for me was Chapa, <laughs> Chapa Pond was pretty warm this summer. Yeah, 
Yeah, but uh, yeah, where'd it go? Because uh, I'll tell you, the one in Lake Placid is that. What, that's not Lake Placid, is it? Oh, no, what's the it? Near Lake. Yeah, near Lake. It's freaking cold. The warmest ones, I think, are like Oceda is really warm. So some of the stuff that's off the Saranac River, um, that's that's you know something with not as much springs. Yeah. Yeah, and if it's not being fed by like snow melt from the mountains, shallow too. Yeah. Although that being said, Chapel Pond is fed by mountains melt. There is some great, uh, great swimming spots. Lake Clear Beach is really good. What I like finding is those swim holes on a hike. You know, at a high mountain. Yeah, like those are some of my favorites. Yeah, like my favorite one is on is on uh, Herbert Brook on Marshall. Really high on that. There's a really good pool there that's, um, you know, maybe five or six feet deep, but it's a really nice dip on a hot day, and it is frigid. Um, and then the coldest one is, uh, well, right next to the, uh, Lake Holden Outpost. It's, it's called Cold Brook, aptly named, and that one, um, the hottest August day, that I swear that water's still only 35 degrees. Wow. Yeah, because I've run into that. Like, I've, I've jumped into Lake Tear of the Clouds, and... <laughs> There's not much of a lake left anymore. Yeah. It's so funny. You know? But but there there was enough like was there we, we I've never off, actually swam in yeah the, we jumped that. off a rock uh uh-huh. because it's a really rocky shore and I hate being like not that I hate being cold I hate that shock of cold water especially hitting my back and I just cannonballed into it it was like yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like nothing worked you know you're like all in rictus yeah you know a second later you can swim around but that yeah that initial, was it was yeah. a polar sl- plunge in August <laughs> um so. Let's wrap up with just sort of one final question. Outside of the actual high peaks, right? Like the, the 46er area, um, you know, kind of bordered with like Keene Valley, yeah. Lake Placid. Uh, we did Hurricane. We did Baker. What would be the best non-high peaks that would fit into your like, yeah, well, like if, hikes? that you'd... If you're looking for mountains, I think, um, you know, down by the Indian Lake area, mm-hmm. um, there's there's snowy. There's some mountains down there that that kind of fit that. The uh, the, the Jay Mountain Range, I would say, is still part of the greater high peaks, yeah. but that's pretty cool as well. Um, so yeah, I would say snowy down through there, and then for um, longer treks, you know, Northville Placid Trail is still a classic, and um, still highly recommend that. Yeah, it's kind of cool how like you you. Have like it's like 115 miles or something like yeah. that. Yeah, um, goes from Northville, New York, to like Placid, New York, um, and it's like a baby through hiking trail. Yeah, totally. Um, and somewhere down there, it actually crosses. I think the Finger Lakes Trail. Hmm. Uh, I was looking at like one of the maps of all the long trails. I didn't even know that uh, because we actually I, I've worked it out like from right near where we live. Um, there's a trail. And it joins up with another trail, which actually goes to the border. So I actually worked out a hiking route to go from our house um, all the way to New York City on official trails. Cool. <laughs> um, you know, you cross the AT and all that kind of stuff. So there's there's a lot of stuff like for, you know, whether you're Canadian or a non-New Yorker, right? Like obviously the high peaks are amazing. Um, but like there's a lot of stuff that uh, in Adirondack State Park, mm-hmm. right? Because when you look on a map, like with the area, the high peaks actually take mm-hmm, up mm-hmm. and then the rest of the park, like it's the, isn't it the largest park? Not oh, in yeah. Alaska. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's when I talk about ranger staffing, that's one of the things I bring up a lot, like Yellowstone, much, much smaller, fewer visitors and they have 330 full-time rangers, 
you know, whereas the Adirondack Park only has 50. It's a pretty stark comparison. Yeah, because it's like... Does it make sense? Yeah. And I think, but I think what it comes down to is when you drive like north of Albany, you know, and you sort of get up in that Lake George area where yeah. it becomes officially the park. Mm-hmm. There's nobody at a ticket gate going, right, okay, right, right, right. and so, that'll be $35 for the week. <laughs> so for us in Canada, we we're and in Ontario, we we're saying that everything's prohibited. So for us to come here and see things are free and all the infrastructure, like, holy crap. Like, we yeah. really appreciate it. Do you get that sense from others? Like, or Yeah, yeah, I do. And, and uh, you know, that makes sense because I've seen such a, and I, there's some studies, there's some data that back this up, but... Um, the percentage of our users now that are Canadian is going up a lot. Like it's always been a key part of our demographic, but um, that Clarkson university students there, their survey showed that it was, it was a much, much larger percentage than mm-hmm. ever before. Well, that so. was, it was funny. Cause when we went in and the Gulf Brooklyn to we hit there, it was like a bunch of Canadians oh, from, McGill. Yeah, from McGill university yeah. in Montreal. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like the other, you know, further up the hill, then the next the lean to is taken by a couple more Canadians. <laughs> I, I think, Probably a third of the users that I interact with are Canadian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, because think of it as like, it's two hours from Montreal. Like, it's like the second or third biggest city in the country. Although we keep running in those from our city. Yeah. Um, very quickly, what are some ways that visitors coming here can help out as far as, are there any volunteer groups? Uh, I know the Adirondack Lodge has a membership. I was a member of that. Um, what else can we do? I think the ADK is the best one for people who are particularly into hiking. Gotcha. So they do have an environmental component to it, but they are um, putting some things in place for volunteers to do things. And there are some other uh, not-for-profits that deal with the park, like uh, the Adirondack Council and Protect the Adirondacks. Um, but for hiking community, I think ADK does the best job. And given that a third of the visitors are from Canada, and you talked about contacting the governor about that we need more rangers here. Can Canadians do that? Social media not? is available for anybody. Seriously? Yeah, I guess it's a, you're not, not, you're not gonna, that. You're not going to get You're not making campaign contributions. So. Yeah, you're not, <laughs> and you're maybe not doing an official petition, but... Well, I mean, I mean, you're 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 a visitor to the yeah. Adirondacks. We're spending money here, so... You're a visitor to the Adirondacks and you're explaining what you would like to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think we'd want that information from our friends from the North as well. Yeah, that's a good cool. idea. <laughs> They're going to get annoyed with the whole campaign. We're going <laughs> to. <laughs> Maybe Canadians are the ones that can finally break through and get us more Rangers. You know. Oh. Well, because it's the thing. Como just did a big thing of like. But snowmobiling. Snowmobiling. He's, yeah. re- he's really done an amazing job about bringing tourism to the Adirondacks. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really impressive. But, you know, like bring the tourists, but then you actually have to bring the uh, this infrastructure to go along with it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like, like inviting people to dinner, but then running out of food. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so. so yeah. So anyway, Scott, thank you very much. Oh, thank for, you. It was fun. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and we'll take and share all your like social media things at least for the next year until you retire, and then you know it can be former ADK Ranger. And, you know, <laughs> I know. I no, you're right. I got to figure out what to do with that. Uh, what do you my think Twitter you... account when I retire? Yeah, yeah. I, I got another eighteen months or so. Yeah. Do you have any plans? Um, you know, I do want to hike the Appalachian Trail. That's definitely on my bucket list. I want to through hike on that. Um, but I, I, I want to probably maybe wait till my kids go to college, which isn't, you know, it's a ways, you know, five mm-hmm. or six years away. But uh, that's definitely on my bucket list. To yeah, because at least if they're off in college, dad's screwing off for six months. Yeah. Doesn't seem like abandonment. In I don't issue. think they care anymore at this yeah. point. They're, they're teenagers, yeah. so I, they, they've really lost use for me anyway. But. Yeah, cause it, it, and it's the thing. If you do do it, because I've, I've done it in both directions, do northbound. 
Yeah. Yeah, I was I was planning on that. Because it starts like tough but sucky uh-huh. and ends amazing. Right? Because you end up Katahdin, like a four thousand foot elevation yeah. change and you know, um, just you finished, you know, the hundred mile woods just before that. And you know, like there's so many of these awesome Pretty bits epic. at the end. Yeah. Right. Whereas if you uh, do it southbound, after you go down Musilaki, like my last time around, what got me off the trail, I literally finished the last of the good stuff and fucked up my ankle. And, you know, uh, basically the whole big middle mid-Atlantic section, um, I was going to have to do that, you know, before I got hurt. And it's just boring <laughs> shit. It's only there because you got to connect these two places. So, yeah, if you get the northbound... Yeah, that's the way to do it. You know, you get great training, you know, going through like Carolina and, you know, uh, Tennessee, like through the Smokies. And then you get kind of a bit of a, a break a little bit in Northern Virginia. And then Pennsylvania makes you experience with rocks. And yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's just so fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. So until next time, what are we doing, Catherine? Work hard, play dirty. See you guys. Bye.